Differing Things is a podcast which focuses on how far religion and society have deviated from the Bible. Differing Things will cover many topics, both spiritual and current, to draw our listeners closer to their creator. Now for today's host, Dr. Bill Petrie. Russia invaded the nation of Ukraine on February 24th, 2022. It has certainly shocked and shaken the world. Shocked because of the sheer audacity of Russia to snub its nose at the entire free world and launch a full-scale military attack into another sovereign nation. Shaken because Russia's aggression could potentially escalate into another world war, a war which many feel could signal the end of the world as we know it, since the technological advance in weaponry could unleash unparalleled destruction. In the midst of the fear and uncertainty, it is natural to wonder what the future will bring. It is also natural for people to wonder if the Bible says anything about it. Let's face it, prophecy is a big attraction. People want to know the future and how it all ends. Pat Robertson came out of retirement to announce that Russia's invasion of Ukraine was the beginning of the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 38. And their prophetic speculations will definitely gain a boatload of listeners and viewers, garner lots of headlines, and goid on more prophecies from others who are looking for similar attention. That is not to say that prophecy is not real. The Bible is filled with prophecy. In Jesus' first advent, he fulfilled over a hundred prophecies of the Old Testament. And there are many more prophecies to be fulfilled in Jesus' second advent. History is moving toward a climax, and Jesus Christ will reign on this earth. So my concern is not with biblical prophecy, but with the quick reaction to every news headline and the readiness to fit it into a Bible passage with almost 100% confidence. I have seen this far too many times in my lifetime. The book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Mikhail Gorbachev. Ronald Reagan, the rebuilding of Babylon, Saddam Hussein, the Gulf War, Y2K, the four blood moons, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin, COVID-19. I'm sure if I was alive in 1939, I would have definitely thought 
that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist and that the end of the world was around the corner. How could you not? But 80 years later, we can look back and see that World War II may have been a foreshadowing of the end times, but it was not the real thing. <clears throat> One of my favorite issues of Christian History Magazine is its history of the end. In it, they cover all the dates and events that have been pegged as the end of the world, hundreds and hundreds of them. Of course, all of them were wrong. When the disciples wondered when Jesus was going to bring his kingdom to earth, Jesus responded to them very clearly. It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, Acts 1-7 tells us. It is not for us to know. We have a more important thing to focus on. So what do we make of Russia's invasion of Ukraine? I do not know, but I do know it is not the beginning of the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 38. The prophecy in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 relates to a war that I believe takes place after the millennium, and we'll have more to say about that a little bit later. According to Pat Robertson, Vladimir Putin is being compelled by God to invade Ukraine. Indeed, Pat Robertson states, and I quote, he went into the Ukraine, but that wasn't his goal. His goal was to move against Israel ultimately, end of quote. And according to Robertson, this was all prophesied by Ezekiel, who lived more than 2,500 years ago. Is this true? Over on the Bible Prophecy News website, Dr. Bob Thiel asks, and I quote, On February 24, 2022, Russia's President Vladimir Putin announced a special military operation into Ukraine. Are Jewish sources correct that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is the start of the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38? Are Protestant sources and people like trumpet editor Gerald Flurry right that Vladimir Putin is the Prince of Rosh or Rush? Does Ezekiel 38 include Russia? What are some of the other nations involved in Ezekiel 38? Does this battle happen before or after Jesus returns in the second advent? Can you possibly know the answer from the actual passages in Ezekiel 38? End of quote. Ezekiel chapter 38 verses 1 and 2 reads, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, Set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of 
Meshach, and Tubal and prophesy against him. In stark contrast to the aforementioned view, Old Testament and Semitic scholar Dr. Michael S. Heiser tweeted, and I quote, the idea that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is about Russia or a Russian invasion has literally no merit in terms of exegesis. End of quote. Exegesis refers to accurate interpretation of the scripture. So who is right here? Let me say, Dr. Heiser, without a doubt, is correct. Now allow me to explain. First, Ezekiel 38 is a favorite passage of prophetic teachers, and rightfully so. It does point to a future war against the nation of Israel. But the mystery surrounding the names and the places in Ezekiel's prophecy makes it a perfect place for people to insert their own opinions and speculations about its meaning. Of course, they will not call it their opinion and their speculation, but they will instead proclaim their viewpoint as the obviously correct one. Gog and Magog, Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, along with the coalition of Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, and Tagarmah, may refer to modern-day Russia and the nations around it, including Iran, Turkey, and Ukraine. But that is an exegetical interpretation that is very open to debate. Associating the names from the English translation to modern Russian towns, Moscow and Tobolsk, is a stretch. Ezekiel 38 says nothing about Russia directly or indirectly, despite some translations which read, Son of man, set thy face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. The American Standard Version and the Concordant Version are examples of this interpretation or, or translation. We would also see it in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which dates to approximately 200 years before Jesus. The correct translation, as recognized by most translators and commentaries, is this. Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. This is how the King James Version, the English Standard Version, and the Universal Version Bible translate the passage. The Hebrew here reads, in Rosh, which could potentially mean the prince of Rosh, is 
if Rosh was a place name. But it is better translated as chief prince, with Rosh carrying its normal meaning of head or chief. But even if a case could be made for the Hebrew text meaning Prince of Rosh, Ezekiel scholar Daniel Block points out the problems. This will be a little technical for some listeners, but just listen for his conclusions. He writes in the New International Commentary on the Old Testament on pages 434 to 435 the following, and I quote, The popular identification of Raj with Russia is impossibly anachronistic and based on a faulty etymology. The asenatal similarities between Russia and Raj being purely accidental. In the 19th century, some scholars associated Rosh with Rus, a Scythian tribe inhabiting the northern Taurus Mountains, according to Byzantine and Arabic writings. Recent attempts to equate Rosh with Rashu, Rashu Arishi, in Neo-Assyrian annals are more credible except that the place so named was located far to the east on the border between Babylon and Elam and would have had nothing to do with Meshach and Tabal. The interpretation is also difficult, though not impossible, from a grammatical point of view. If Rosh is to be read as the first in a series of names, the conjunction should precede Meshach, and it would read Rashis, therefore best understood as a common noun. Appositionally, too, and offering a closer definition of Nasai. Accordingly, the prince, chief of Meshach and Tabal, combines Ezekiel's preferred title for kings with a hierarchical designation, the addition serving to clarify the preceding archaic term. Ezekiel's point is that Gog is not just one of many Anatolian princely figures, but the leader among princes in over several tribal national groups. End of quote. The reality is, we have no idea who Gog and Magog are, and any attempt to identify them is just speculation. Second, Meshach and Tubal referred to nations that were in what is Turkey today. Hence, they are also unrelated to the current war. Of course, the argument is that the war will expand, involving many other nations, some of which are mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 5 and 6. And I personally believe that the Bible does predict a final war against Israel, one in which the Lord will fight for his ancient people, 
and ultimately destroy the invaders. This is most clearly addressed in Zechariah chapters 12 and 14, as well as in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. I believe that this will literally happen, just as I believe that the Bible prophesied that God would scatter the Jewish people around the world and then regather them back to their ancient homeland sometime in the future, and that would become a greater exodus than the one that is recorded for us in the book of Exodus. As it was written, so it will happen. But Israel in the land is not the Israel that is in the Bible. They are there in unbelief, and they have not been gathered there by God. Ezekiel's language is also very clear, saying to these nations, After a long time you shall be summoned. In the distant future you shall march against the land of a people restored from the sword, gathered from the midst of many peoples against the mountains of Israel, which have long lain desolate, a people liberated from the nations, and now all dwelling secure. This is quite a striking prophecy. But there is no evidence that Russia's current invasion is related to these words, nor is there any evidence that Russia is mentioned or alluded to in these chapters. Third, Jewish tradition. What about the Jewish tradition that states, and I quote, when you hear that the Russians have captured the city of Crimea, you should know that the times of the Messiah have started, that his steps are being heard. And when you hear that the Russians have reached the city of Constantinople, which is today's Istanbul, you should put on your Shabbat or Sabbath clothes and do not take them off because it means that the Messiah is about to come any minute. End of quote. But it is just that, a tradition. It has no scriptural support. It has no divine authority. Plus, the Russians have not yet reached Istanbul, not even faintly not even remotely close. Ezekiel, who died in 570 BC in Babylon, prophesied about the war of Gog and Magog against a peaceful land of Israel, with its citizens worshiping their God, Yahweh. This prophecy is a detailed description of the prophecy mentioned by the prophet John who wrote the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos in Greece. Now, I do want to say that Israel is not in the land peacefully. In fact, it's the exact opposite. 
there is all kinds of conflict in the land of Israel. Second, they are not worshiping their God the way it is detailed in Scripture, even their own Scriptures. They are a people that are in the land, but they are just one of every other country that exists today. They are not special. They don't talk about their going into the land as a greater exodus than the one when they left Egypt. With all of that in mind, Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 and 10, reads this way in the concordant literal New Testament. And whenever the thousand years should be finished, Satan will be loosed out of his jail, and he will be coming out to deceive all the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to be mobilizing them for battle, their number being as the sand of the sea. And they went up over the breadth of the earth and surround the citadel of the saints and the beloved city. And fire descended from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the adversary who was deceiving them was cast into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the wild beast and where the false prophet are also. And they shall be tormented day and night for the eons of the eons. Let us look at the reasons why this prophecy in the book of Revelation regarding Gog and Magog does not refer to our present time. First, prophecy has to have two source witnesses for it to be established according to Deuteronomy 19.15. All prophecy and revelation, therefore, must be referred to in another book as a source witness for it to be established. Second, the prophecy in Ezekiel is a detailed prophecy that is mentioned in Revelation to occur after the thousand-year millennium, after the release of Satan, the adversary, from prison, according to Revelation 27, which I read just a few moments ago. Third, the armies of Gog and Magog are going up against a defenseless people, living in peace and in unwalled cities. This is not the case in the state of Israel today or in any country of this world presently. Ezekiel 38 verses 11 and 14 state, And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled cities. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto God, Thus saith the Lord God, 
in that day, when my people of Israel dwell safely, shall you not know it? Fourth, God will be wrathful, and he will cause severe earthquakes in the land of Israel. This is in accordance with Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 18 through 20. But there are no earthquakes taking place at present in the land of Israel. We haven't read of any for quite a while, as a matter of fact. Fifth, the entire world will, after this event, know who God is. Since Messiah has not returned yet, and will not return until after many of the events described in the book of Revelation, this cannot refer to a present-day demonstration. Ezekiel 38 verse 23 reads, And I shall exalt myself and set myself apart, and I shall be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. Yahweh literally is just the name that is rendered in a lot of translation as the Lord. Sixth, it is unlikely that when this current Russian-Ukrainian war has ended, that the entire world will proclaim God and speak of his Hebraic name, Yahweh, and never profane it again. Until Satan has been permanently changed, God's name will be profaned. However, we should realize that very few people today even know his true name. Ezekiel 39.7 reads, And I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people, Israel. And I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations shall know that I am Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. Seventh, we know that the false prophet and the dragon will profane the name of God for 42 months, and that has not yet occurred. Revelation 13.6 reads, And he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and those dwelling in the heaven. Eighth, the Messiah has to return in order for people to see his face according to Ezekiel chapter 39 and verse 29. Ninth, after this war described by Ezekiel, people will be able to use the weapons for fire instead of wood for seven full years. Ezekiel chapter 39 verses 9 and 10 state this, In those who inhabit the cities of Israel shall go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and armor, the bows and arrows, the clubs and spears, and 
they shall make fires with them for seven years and take no wood from the field nor cut down any from the forests for with the weapons they make fire tenth there will be casualties of the ukrainian war but will people really continue to bury the war casualties for seven entire months as ezekiel chapter 39 verses 13 and 14 state and 11th let us realize that the majority of the prophecies from ezekiel who was israel's watchman is about prophetic events that will occur in and after the millennium could it be that in the years to come we will see a coalition of nations coming against israel with russia leading the way or at least participating sure that is possible and could it be that when that day arrives we will look back to ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 at least is a broad brushed description of what is taking place perhaps but right now there is absolutely no scriptural or factual evidence that connects ezekiel 38 to russia's invasion of ukraine and with hundreds or thousands of mistaken date-setting interpretations of the bible littering our recent past it is best to toss this latest one in the dustbin right now so i do not believe ezekiel 38 is being fulfilled at this time at best this present invasion could signal the rising power of russia in the far north but on the other hand this invasion could end up diminishing Putin's power, unifying Europe as never before, thus leading to a revival of a European Union becoming a world power. Or it could be the enabling of another more potent power, such as China, that would arise in this world. Or it could be just another war that reminds us that the human heart is desperately wicked that nations rise up against nations that hatred cruelty tragedy and death exist in this world and that jesus christ could come back at any moment to gather his church unto himself yes i do believe in the rapture of the church before the wrath of god is poured out and by holding this view i also believe that the bible teaches that christ's return is imminent that there are no particular supernatural signs immediately preceding it and that it will happen like a thief in the night when people are proclaiming peace and safety in the world and not expecting it 
Does that mean that there are no signs of Jesus's imminent return? No, not necessarily, just not supernatural signs. I think there are general signs that we are nearing the end of the story. The world is more connected than ever with the very real potential of a one world government. Deception has never been more difficult to discern since technology has made even reality hard to discern. Just turn on the news and see how broadcasters in the major news networks continually fail to report certain facts or misrepresent other facts to bring about a predetermined point of view for it, their viewers and listeners. People today are desperately looking for political messiahs to save the day. That sounds a lot like the world is being primed for a deceptive leader to step onto the political scene, resolve the conflict in the Middle East, to unify the world politically and economically, to promise peace and safety to all, and then reveal his true intentions. And the nation of Israel will be at the center of it all. But before any of that can happen, before any of that can happen, a number of things have to take place. So how do we respond to this current crisis in Russia and Ukraine? We do exactly what scripture says we should do, keeping in mind the return of Christ. Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through five in the Universal Version Bible states, then I solemnly witnessed before God and Yahweh Jesus Messiah, he being about to judge the living and dead in accord with his shining forth in his government, proclaimed the word, stand by it, when convenient or when inconvenient, convicting, warning, encouraging, with all longsuffering and instructing. For the era will come when they will not tolerate sound instruction, but with their hearing being tickled, they will accumulate for themselves instructors in agreement with their own desires. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into fables. But as for you, be always self-controlled, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill all the duties of your ministry. We need to keep our head on straight. We do not panic or overreact. We should think soberly and wisely and pray fervently. We love one another. We show grace and give forgiveness. We open our heart and our home. We bless others. 
we take the resources that we have and we use them to help others in need. We serve the Lord as we have opportunity. And we speak the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to a broken world, a world that is hurting and so desperately needs its Savior. In other words, whether Christ comes back today, tomorrow, or a hundred years, or even a thousand years from now, we fix our eyes on him. We love our neighbor, and we love faithfully each day. In this case, we should pray for the leaders and the people of both Ukraine and Russia. Pray for peace. Pray for God to protect life and to point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the simple gospel that saves and transforms lives. Simply put, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Simply believing that and trusting that allows the Holy Spirit to seal us into a relationship with God that can never be undone. We need to stay informed, but we also need to be staying on our knees for this world. We need to be watching and praying. We need to love and to give. We need to be sober-minded and zealous for good works. And most of all, we fix our expectation, our hope on Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 states in the Universal Version, For the grace of God bringing salvation to all men has shown forth, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, sensible, and godly lives in the present eon, prepared to welcome the happy expectation in shining forth of the glory of the great God, even our Savior, Jesus Messiah, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself an exclusive people, zealous of good works. Did you pay attention to this? The grace of God brings salvation to all men. And it is the grace of God that trains us how to renounce ungodliness, how to renounce worldly passions, how to live self-controlled, sensible, and godly lives. Folks, we need to be focusing on the here and now. And by focusing on the here and now, we go about doing the things 
that Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus. We roll up our sleeves and give to this broken, hurting world the answer that would cure its ills. Thank you for listening to this podcast of differing things. I hope and I trust that you have a blessed day. Good day and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.